Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Hey, I want to invite your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm excited about what I'm going to talk to you about today, but I got to be honest with you, it's kind of a hard uh, message. Um, To be be very transparent with you, when I'm studying through the week, uh, there are times, because we've been, I've been preparing for this series since probably December, and it's called Protect This House. It's something I'm very passionate about. It's a local church. And I believe in the local church. I love the local church. I love Warehouse Church. And I love all that God's doing here. And I love the fact that I got to say hi uh, to a handful of new faces this morning and shook some hands and hugged some necks and said hi to people I care so much about and pray for daily. And I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Let's make everybody that's a first-time guest feel welcome today, church. Would you do that? Right after church today, we have a a class called Starting Point. It's kind of our new members. And if you'd like to be a part of that, if if you have not signed up for that, you can still come to that today. Uh, My wife and I are going to be talking about Warehouse Church, who we are, uh, what we're doing and where we're going and how you can be a part of that. We would love for you to be a part of that. This afternoon, there's a church that that, uh, I'm good friends with in, um, in Mesquite called Hope Church. And they're building a new building, and, and their pastor called me up and asked me to speak to their, uh, to their leaders this afternoon about the transition they're going through as a church. And, and he said, you know, I've been watching what you guys have done, and, and it seems like you guys have done a pretty drastic transition in the last four or five years. I said, well, that's fair to say. Well, can you come and talk to my team about that and how we can, what we need to do, how we need to prepare, and how we can get through that? And I said, man, I would be glad to. And I love to talk about those things uh, because of, of what Jesus Christ said about the local church. The Bible says he came, he gave his life for it. Uh, he believes that the, that, that, that the local church are hope carriers to the world. And, and this series called Protect This House is so significant for all of us to understand. And, and let me kind of make it real personal for all of us this morning. Um, a few years ago, uh, before I um, was going on a trip somewhere, I went on a missions trip uh, with, with some families in our church, and my wife couldn't go with me. And she said, you know, I'm okay when you travel, but I would really like to get a security system for the house. And that was a pretty easy request. It wasn't a big deal. So we got a cool security system, one of those security systems that when somebody rings our doorbell, you could see them, you know? And then when somebody rings our doorbell, we can even talk to them. Hey, this is, I don't know, you know. So sometimes even when we're out of town, my wife will pull up the phone and when somebody walks up with a package, she'll say thank you or she'll say something to kind of spook them. And that's kind of funny. We enjoy to do that. But I know as, 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 as her husband and as Emily's dad, who, who still lives with us, uh, at 22 years old, and she's single and beautiful, and uh, I'm taking interviews after church. Uh, if you don't have a lot of debt, you have a great job, and you love Jesus. That's two big steps in the right direction, okay? And she is going to love me after church today for saying that. But I have a responsibility as, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not I, don't, I don't think I'm an egotistical uh, man or, or male, have male ego issues, but I believe it's my responsibility to protect her and to protect our house. Uh, that's something that God's called me to do, and I love that. I love the fact that I can, you know, I, I made a promise to her dad uh, in May. It'll be 35 years, 35 years ago. I promised her dad that I would protect her, I would take care of her, and, and, and that I would, I would do everything I could do to, to, to give her, you know, a, a good life as the Lord would bless us. And I take that responsibility very serious. And, and, there's, there's so many times in scripture when we read about the local church being the house of God. Back in the Old Testament, if you see what, what God's presence, the significance of God's presence coming to the earth uh, in the temple that Solomon built and all of the, uh, the response to that and Solomon's prayer and, and fire coming down from heaven, so much so that the priests couldn't even couldn't even look at the presence of God coming into the temple. And when the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that we're the temple of God and, and, and that God's Holy Spirit lives with inside of us and he wants us 
to be part of a Christian family, a Christian community called the church. Uh, in the New Testament, there are approximately 117 times that the word church or ecclesia is used. And in about 114 of those times, it's talking specifically about a called out assembly. The church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, the church at Thessalonica, and so on and so forth. And you see that the church is very near and dear to the heart of God. We're gonna read a passage out of 1 Corinthians today. And at the end of this, of our worship service today, we're going to partake in the elements of the Lord's table uh, or, or communion. And I wanna kinda talk to you about why communion is so significant and so important for the local church and how it helps us to spiritually protect this house. So let me read for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm gonna start, um, I believe, in verse number 17. I'm gonna start in verse number 17. Listen to what God's inspired word says. This is Paul, the apostle Paul, writing to the church in the city of Corinth. And he's kind of setting some things straight because the church at Corinth uh, had some sin issues in the church. They also had some division in the church. And he had to kind of set some things right. So he went all the way back to the very thing that Jesus gave his disciples and gave the local church to participate in to protect the church from a spiritual standpoint. In verse 17, it says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Wow, that's, you talk about a church consultant knocking your feet out from under you. Paul says to the church at Corinth, hey, listen, you're not doing the right thing. I'm not gonna give you any, uh, any cred because your meetings, your church meetings that you're having are doing more harm than good. So this is kind of an attention-grabbing statement that he's making here. And then he says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For, where, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another person gets drunk. Don't, uh, don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you not despise the church, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. And then he says this, for I received from the Lord, which I'm gonna pass on to you. And then he talks about this idea of communion or the Lord's Supper. The church at Corinth was going through some things, crazy things, things that you'd see on television today, like a good Netflix series, right? Uh, there was a guy in the church who was having a relationship with his father's wife. Ew, okay? You could say that, ew, okay? That's kind of weird. But it, was, it wasn't his mom, it was his stepmom. So it wasn't his father's wife that bore him but it was his father's wife that he had married later for some reason or another. And he had a relationship with her and there were people in the church that were taking his side to this and there were people in the church that were taking the dad's side to this and it caused this big division in the church. And Paul was telling them, listen, you guys think you're getting together doing the Lord. They were kind of getting together and they would, they would make their, you know, they would read some scripture and do some things. They were having a holy huddle of some kind, uh, but it wasn't, the church, because this group was, was, was allowing sin to kind of be in their midst, and they were saying it was okay to live that way. Oh, it's okay, he's much better for her, and there was so much justification of that relationship with this, and, there, and you know, there wasn't a proper divorce, and I'm not talking on divorce today, but, you know, uh, having a physical relationship with your, with your stepmom, ooh, and ooh, and ooh, right? But but when we hear things today, right, when we see things in the way that, that um, we just live in a culture today where it just doesn't seem like, like we can politically correct, say what is right, and politically correct, identify what is wrong. Because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, right? And, we, and, and certainly we want to do that. And I don't want to say anything today that's going to make anybody feel, make anybody feel like I'm attacking you because that's not the purpose of what I'm talking about today. But what was happening in this passage of scripture was there was a division in the church and what happened was they were doing things in Jesus' name that didn't represent Jesus. And Paul said, that's wrong. 
You can't do that. What you're doing is it's no better than getting drunk and just hanging out and having a meal together. But what you're doing is not ordained by God. So we're going to take a couple steps back. And I want you to understand today what the purpose of communion and the Lord's table is. And if you remember back when Jesus told his disciples as he was preparing them and had the Lord's Supper with them right before he was crucified, he was not only preparing them for what he was about to do, he was preparing himself. And he was having a special communion, if you will, if you use that word, because that's, that's what it's referred to as today, with his disciples and with his Father in heaven, even so that soon afterwards, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, that last prayer, before he was illegally arrested, tried, crucified, and rose again from the grave, he said this prayer, not my will, but thy will be done. So we see Jesus uh, gave Paul the words to say, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how to teach this early church how to fix what they were doing wrong and make it right. And you know, that's kind of a hard thing, just that principle in and of itself. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine this week and someone I'm very close to, and uh, we spent a couple days up in, up, up in Missouri at my alma mater, and I, was, I, I taught ta- a chapel to college students on Thursday, and then he and I did a class uh, for public speaking, and pre- uh, it was called uh, Speaking Workshop, and then he spoke in chapel on Thursday. And um, while we were there, uh, our wives got to spend some time together, and we were sitting down just talking. I said, hey, let me ask you something, man. You know me. You know, we've been friends. Anthony and I, and Anthony's executive pastor, Court, spoke for us last week. Pastor Anthony and I have been friends since we've been 14 and 15 years old, a long, long time. He actually personally discipled me when I gave my heart to Christ uh, when I was 24 years old. And I said, hey, man, let me ask you something. Do you see anything in me where, where, where you see that I'm off? Like in, my, in, my, in my, my speech or the way that I'm addressing my wife or maybe when I was speaking in chapel today. Or can, 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 you, can you tell me if there's anything where you, where you feel that I'm off a little bit? He said, no, but I could tell something's troubling your heart. And I said, well, what do you think that is? He says, something going on. He started asking me some probing questions. And, and you know, honestly, what was troubling my heart was, was what I'm gonna talk to you about today uh, because it was just so real and personal to my life and I hope it becomes that way for you this morning as well. But Paul said this, he said, I received from the Lord. So he's giving some authoritative kind of an introduction for what he's about to share about how we take communion. Now communion is probably not foreign to most of us in here. Maybe if you're brand, brand new to church or have any kind of religious background whatsoever, you probably know that communion is that when we do it later on in our service, we're gonna take a little piece of cracker and we're gonna take a little bit of grape juice and we're gonna eat that cracker and we're gonna drink that grape juice and we're gonna do that and we're gonna pray and thank God for what his son Jesus Christ did for us by allowing his body to be broken for our sins and his blood to be poured out to pay for our sins. And that's what he did for us. And we don't do that. When we take communion, it doesn't save us again. There's nothing significantly spiritual about the wafer and the wine itself when it comes to your body or anything like that. But we do that to remember. We do that to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. But in the, with the idea of being in the presence of God and remembering what Jesus Christ did. I wanna read this entire passage to you, and I'm gonna emphasize the latter part. He says, I received from the Lord, but I'm gonna pass on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after, he, he, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do, it, do this whenever you drink it, to remember me. And then he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak, sick, and even a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to yourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined 
so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather together to eat, you ought to do it. You should all eat together, and then anybody who's hungry should, should, should have something when they're home so that when you meet together, it's not a result in judgment. And when I come, I'm going to give you further instruction. And what the Apostle Paul is talking to this church about, and I think because it's been preserved for us today, is to understand the pathway to true repentance. Now, repentance is one of those words that falls into that weird language called Christianese, right? These really, really Bible-y sounding words that are kind of, you know, next level uh, for us uh, to understand. But there is a difference between apologizing and repentance. There's a very significant difference for that. And I want to talk to you today about the pathway to true repentance and how it's significant when we understand not only communion, but as we understand our responsibility as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to protect the church. So the first thing I want to submit to you is this. We, you and I, need to see sin the way that God does. The way that God does. I think it's really easy for us, and I'll make that personal. It's really easy for me sometimes to mock things that are, that are kind of medium or small size sins. You know what I'm saying? Like I would never mock like a murder thing or mock, you know, somebody robbing a bank or mock something that, that we would put on the sin scale that we've created for our own lives, right? Because we have things that are really, really bad to us, but we also have things when we look at our own lives and we put our own sins on the sin scale, they're very minute compared to the other things that people are doing that are really, really bad, right? And the fact of the matter is, whether you think it's not that big of a deal or, or, or you think it's a huge deal, God looks at sin as the very thing that separates us from him. And listen to this passage in Proverbs chapter 6. The pathway to true repentance, number one, is this. We need to see sin the way that God does. He says this in Proverbs. There's six things that the Lord hates. And then the author says this. Seven of them, seven of them are detestable to him. Now, I want you to think about something that you hate today. Now, I hope it's not anybody. If it is, we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But just think about something that you absolutely hate, okay? I mean, you just, it just, right? Uh, you just hate it, you know? Maybe it's something that's happened to you. Maybe it's something that happened to somebody else. From an easy to think about perspective, to give everybody a break this morning so you don't think I'm trying to crush you, think of the worst food in the, life that you, in the world that you don't like. Like something when it comes up to your mouth that you have to eat, that you either have to hold your nose or do something. When Kim and I were missionaries, we had, uh, Kim and I felt very posh yesterday. We had brunch yesterday with a family from the church. We had brunch on Saturday with the Bassanis, and it was a wonderful experience. But we had, and, and she has a Filipino uh, blood in her, so once in a while when we talk, we talk about some of Kim and I's experiences being a missionary. When I was a missionary in the Philippines, when you went to somebody's house and they made food for you, you didn't ask questions, you ate it. You had to eat it because they spent, a, they spent probably a whole day's wage just to feed you. And I remember going to this one house and my friend named Roey, uh, they had some rice and it was like this, this meal. I don't know what it was. And I started eating and I said, hey, Roey, this tastes kind of rough. What is it? He said, just eat it. I'll tell you afterwards. And I ate it, and it tasted bad, and it smelled bad, and it was bad. I said, Roey, what did I just eat? He said, Pastor, I want you to do something. I want you to go home today and email all of your friends, and you tell them that today, and whatever the date was on this date, you, for the first time and probably only time in your life, ate dog. <sighs> the main meat inside that little, and we have a dog visiting with us today. I don't, please tell the dog I don't mean to offend him, Okay. I've never done it again. I promise you, I've never eaten dog again. It was brutal. It was brutal. So when I would go to other people's houses, I started asking, oh, thank you so much. Hey, what is this we're eating right here? <laughs> oh, it's rice and dog. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on a meat-free thing right now. You know. And one time I said that to somebody, started picking all the pieces of dog out of the thing, and you just... Right? So would it be fair to say that you've probably eaten something in your life that you don't like, right? Some of you old school people in this room, your parents, or maybe you still make it today, made you liver and onions growing up. How many of you remember liver 
and onions. How many of you that ate liver and onions hate liver and onions? Raise your hand up in the air. How many of you that ate liver and onions would actually eat it today and you like it? Raise your hand up in the air. Strange people right in this little section right here, right? <laughs> liver and onions. It smells, you know somebody's making liver and onions when you live three doors away from them because of the smell that it has, right? So you've all eaten food. Now think about this. God says this in the book of Proverbs. There's six things that I really hate. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you seven that are detestable to me. You think about that feeling you have towards that thing. You ready? And then he says this, haughty eyes or proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness that pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And I find it very interesting that in the list where murder and somebody that's wicked and evil is named with somebody that lies and just stirs up conflict in a community is something that the Lord hates. But we find ways to make fun of those things and laugh at those things, we inclusive to this person right here, because we always, always, always in our conversations, when we talk about our weaknesses, we try to justify what we do. Romans 12, 9 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. That's an interesting term, hate what is evil. It's been used in politics, right? When we think about people that from the other side of the world that have different religions that hate the American way. And there's a lot of hatred speech that, that are, that's very familiar to us on the news today, Right? Do we hate the right thing? Uh, people in and of themselves, no matter where they're from, what color, what background, what, whatever religion they have, aren't evil unto themselves, but the things that they do can be evil. But I'm also learning that the things that I do are evil too because God says he hates a lying tongue and somebody that stirs up trouble in the community and somebody that has proud eyes, just by being proud. Just by being arrogant, you're listed in something that God detests or hates. But then we justify it because in Romans 3.10, it says, well, there's none righteous, no, not one. So we know that by comparison, right, we're all kind of on the same playing field, right? We all have things that we struggle with. There's nobody in this room that's better than anybody else. There's nobody in this room that, that, is, that is a better person from the sin scale perspective that we can all look at because we're all the same when, when, when God looks at us. He doesn't look at Jack and say, well, he's a way, 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 way better. Now, I think Jack's a better person than I am. But he doesn't look at Jack and say, Jack is way, 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 way better. Because he's only committed 17,575,000 sins, whereas Ed's committed 18,000,000 sins. Therefore, Jack's a better person. No, he and I are both sinners. But you know what? God loves us. God loves us. But God wants us to understand something because of that love that we have for him. He wants us to see things the way that he does. And the second thing that we understand about the pathway to repentance is he wants you and I to experience sorrow over sin. Listen, we feel bad when we sin most of the time because why? Why do we feel bad most of the time when we sin? Because we what? We get caught. Right? Because if you do it and you don't get caught... And there's no circumstances that people don't look down on you and people don't disrespect you and people don't give you a hard time and you don't have to deal with the ramifications of that thing that you've done wrong. You got away with it, right? It's no big deal. Well, here's, the under, here's what I'm starting to understand about sorrowing over sin. It's how we, when we really truly sorrow over sin, we're not sorry we get caught. We're sorry because we start to understand how God feels about that sin we committed. It's kind of like a kid that understands when they're growing up and they do something wrong and the parent says no and they disobey, it's no big deal. It's just water off their back. And they're growing up, they do something wrong and the parents have to discipline them, no big deal. But at the point when you start to understand that that thing that you did disappointed or hurt your parents and you see that hurt, I'll never forget the first time. The first time that I really understood that something I did bad hurt my father. I thought I was gonna get the whipping of a lifetime. And what I did, it was deserved. And my dad walked in, and I thought he was just going to, I thought it was done. I thought I was going to see Jesus that night. I did. I got arrested that day, and I was, it was bad news. I was only 12 years old, and my dad looked at me, and my dad started to cry. I'm like, what is going on here? I thought, man, he's that upset that he's going to beat my tail right now? He looked at me and said, you will never know how much you disappointed me until you have a child my age. He was so sorrowful, he couldn't even discipline me. He walked out of the room, and I said, wow. 
something I did? I, something I did hurt my dad? Now, why would that hurt my dad? I asked him later, dad, why did that hurt you? That hurts me. I'm the one that's got to pay the fine. I'm the one that's got to do this. I'm the one that's got to do this, right? My dad said, you don't understand. I gave you a name. Your name is the same name as my name. He's Edward Martin Trinkle. I'm Edward Martin Trinkle Jr. He said, when I gave you my name, I thought you were going to make me proud to share my name, and you didn't do that. And that sorrow that my dad felt, that was the first time I understood sin. Because when you and I sin, listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the book of Romans tells us in chapter 6 and verse number 1, it says, what shall we say then? Shall you and I continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul said, God forbid. How can you and I that are dead to sin, right? We've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We've made him the Lord and Savior of our life. That doesn't give us this pass that says, you're getting to heaven for free. Now, everything you do the rest of your life doesn't matter. No, Paul says, how can you and I continue in sin? How can we do that? You've experienced a taste of God's grace. You understand that he forgave everything, everything you did and even everything you will do. That ought to cause you to want to do something to show God that you love him. But you keep sinning so you don't understand. You don't understand how much God hates sin and even more so how much God loves you. Do you sorrow over your sin? Psalm 51, 16 says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. David said when he's talking about his, his egregious sin that he committed, multiple, uh, multiple sins all starting with lust and it just kind of got out of control to the point where he murdered somebody. And David said this, God, you don't delight in sacrifice. I would give, if, listen, if giving you more stuff would appease you for what I've done wrong, then that's what I would do. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's what you want, God. That's what you don't hate. Can I tell you something? Whether you're the richest or the poorest person in the world, you don't have enough money to pay for your sin. Jesus Christ paid for your sin. And God wants us to know that. Not so that we walk around this earth feeling guilty all the time. This is, listen, God wants you to feel the weight of your sin so that you will respond properly to it. So that you'll respond properly to it. Even to the point, next step of true repentance is experiencing shame over our sin. Ezra 9, 6. It says, I, t- I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached into the heavens. That's pretty powerful. Have you ever done something? Listen, I'm not asking if you've ever done the worst thing in the world. But if you've ever done something when you know, when you know in your heart that God was disappointed with you, Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God loves us anyway, right? But the shame of sin is significant. He doesn't want us to feel, he doesn't want us to live in guilt. I remember when I was a kid, religion and church was all about feeling guilty all the time. Man, I went to so many youth things when I was a kid. When we had to, I don't know, this is gonna sound really archaic to some of our students but have, ever, have any of you ever been to like a churchy thing or a youth group thing when you were a kid when they were burning rock and roll records? Anybody ever go to something like that? Bring in your records. We're going to burn them. They're all Satan's records, right, and all this other stuff. It's like, oh, you know, I felt really, really bad, and I brought my records in. They burned them. My dad was so mad at me because my first rock and roll album was Boston, More Than a Feeling, and that's a good album. That's just good. It's solid. More than a feeling. Woo, that's a good song, right? Burn it. And then I listened to it on the way home and on a tape. <laughs> they didn't say burn your tapes. They said burn your records. So I burned my records. I had the tape. I was solid. I had a backup plan, you know? But I just remember hearing, just hearing, and even sitting in church, you adulterers. You know, just because I saw something on TV or was a human being, you know. I remember just like this super mega 
I remember being at a youth camp one time and I heard a message and it was called the elevator to hell. And all the points of the message were different floors going down all the way to the bottom of hell. And I'm telling you, I, I was confessing for things I did when I was two when I heard that. Lord, when I was two, I said no to my mom and I'm really sorry. And then, you know, and then when I was 12, I cheated on a test and I didn't mean to. And, and then when I was 13, I did this. And then, Lord, can you just please forgive me? Because, man, that girl's really hot up there and I shouldn't be thinking these thoughts. And, like, uh, you know, I'm like having this big in my mind. Guilt, 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 guilt. And Jesus says, I got your guilt. I got it. I've got your guilt. So what does he want us to do? He wants us to, number four, confess. But here's the thing about the confession of sin that we need to understand today. Confession is more than admission. Okay? Um, listen to these verses out of Psalm 51, the same chapter that David's writing this. Whole chapter in regards to repenting of this terrible, terrible thing that he's done. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, would you blot out my transgressions? Wash me, wash away all my iniquity and, and cleanse me, he says, from my sin. Because I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I want you to hang on to that verse for just a second. Against you and you only have I sinned and I've done, e done this evil which is in your sight. And man, David messed up. He sinned against his wife, his nation, his soldiers, other soldiers that lied for him, the guy that he killed, the woman that he had to relate, all these people that he sinned against. And David says, against you and you only have I sinned and I've done this evil in your sight and you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. We don't need, I think, Confession is health, healthy. We're supposed to confess our faults one to another in accountability. I get that. But when we confess our faults one to another, if I were to sin, uh, if I were to sin against my friend Dave, and I said, Dave, I need you to forgive me for this. Dave's forgiveness of my sin makes things right with me and him, but it might not make things necessarily right with me and God because I didn't make it right with him. Like I'm supposed to make it right with Dave, and then I'm supposed to make it right with God. But here's the thing about People's sins, right? We all, we, we look at what people, oh, did you hear this? And church is really, really good with this, right? And I mean this in a very derogatory way. We're very, very, very good at going, oh, did you see when? Did you see that person? Did you hear what this person did? Did you hear what that person did? Oh, they did this. They're this. They're that. They have, oh, 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 And we do all that comparison to do what? Make ourselves look better. And when we do that, we make ourselves look like fools, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Because I know this. I'm very aware of my sins in my life. I'm very aware where I'm weak. That accountability that I had with my friend, Pastor Anthony, I can't tell you that he revealed anything that was a shocking revelation to me because God's work of the Holy Spirit is very real in my life. And I'm really, really familiar with where I fall short of God's glory. I'm really familiar. It's like that mirror my wife has in our bathroom. She's got one of those why mirrors. You know what a why mirror is? It's the mirror that's a normal mirror and you flip it over and it magnifies everything 10 times. And your moon looks like, your face looks like the moon space crater thing. You know what I mean? My, no, my gosh, my nose is humongous. Honey, I've got all this hair in my ears. You know, I mean, just don't, you see, you see all your imperfections. The truth of the matter is, I don't have to sit down with anybody in this room and reveal to you your imperfections because we are all very aware of our own imperfections not just physical ones, but the stuff that's in our heart that's not right. David said, but you know those things, God. And here's the thing about God, he loves us anyway. First John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he, if you confess, it's conditional, if. Confess your sins, not pay for your sins, because Jesus did that. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins. And then he says, and, and he'll forgive you and he will purify you from all your unrighteousness. So here's the understanding, church. When we're confessing our sin, it's much more than the admission of an action. It's the admission of guilt. You know, we like to say, well, I, you know, we like to, you know, when you get older, you like to talk about all the dumb things you did in high school with who? The people you went to high school with when you're all older. Yeah, you remember we did that for her and we laugh at all that stuff. Right, and we, we, will, we will admit when we've done something wrong, a few weeks ago, 
um, I was coming back from Houston visiting my dad. It was kind of late at night. I was really ready to get home. I was following another car. And I was going a little faster than I should have gone. And I got pulled over. Ugh. I even hate telling you the church that this is true. Maybe I'm cleansing my own soul this morning. I don't know. But I got pulled over. And this officer was really, really nice. And she said, sir, do you know why I pulled you over today? Yes, I was going a little fast. Do you know how fast you were going, sir? Yes, ma'am, I was going X amount of miles an hour in this X amount of miles an hour area. I'm not telling you, okay? I'm not going that far this morning, okay? I didn't have to go to court for it, okay? I can tell you that for sure. But yeah, I was going fast. I did this, blah, 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 blah. And she was so nice. And the the bad part about it was I had my my daughter and my son-in-law and my grandkids in the car with me. But I was following one of my son-in-laws. It wasn't that bad of a deal, I promise you, church, right? And then the lady came back, and she said, well, sir, here it is, sign this paper. She says, just what she says, would you like these officer badge stickers for your grandkids? I said, sure. I want anything you can give me to help me remember this experience. This has been just a great experience. I wasn't disrespectful, but I was like, hey, Pop got a ticket. Here's some stickers. We could tell everybody about it tomorrow, right? Ugh. Yeah, I admit it. I admitted I was speeding. I didn't say I was guilty. I just said I was speeding. I didn't say it was wrong to speed because if you drive too fast, it's dangerous. I didn't say it was wrong to speed because it could be what I I said I was speeding. But the omission of the guilt is the same thing with you and I. Yes, I lied, but we we, we justify. Yeah, but if I would have, you know, I couldn't have done that because this would have happened. And that person said this, and if they would have known, and and, and, and I could have gotten more. I was really really thinking about everybody else when I didn't tell them the truth. That's action or guilt. So what is repentance? Number five, turning from sin is the true definition of repentance. It's when you face it, you make it right with God. God, I, I, I did this, I was wrong, can you please forgive me? This thing, and sometimes for a lot of us, including me, it's not a brand new sin. I'm not like 53 years old discovering these new sins. Oh, God, this, man, I just, well, that's a sin. I'm not in the discovery process right now. I'm kind of in maintenance mode, if you're with me this morning, okay? Where I get reminded of some of the, and, and, and sometimes it's not something I do every day. Sometimes it may be something I did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But then I got to do that prayer again to the Lord saying the same thing. Dear Lord, it's me. It's Ed. I did this again, right? But I face it. And I'm not just saying sorry for it and saying, Lord, please forgive me. I did this and I'm going to go do it again. It's when I face it and I ask the Lord for strength and and, and the guidance in my life so that I don't go back there because I don't want to go back there because I'm sorry that I hurt you, Lord. See, repentance is when we turn from our sin. Ezekiel 14.6 says, therefore say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And God isn't our buddy, big guy, you know, this great big, God is the creator, the sovereign God of this universe. And the sovereign God, the one who made us, and the one, we argue about politics, we argue about what we think is right and what is wrong. Listen, there is absolute, true, unchanging truth, and it rests on the sovereign will of Almighty God. And we can argue whether we agree with it. We can argue whether we say it's right. We could do all that with each other until we're blue in the face. But you can't argue with the one who made us because he's the maker, and we've got to keep the maker's rules, whether we like them or not. We disagree with each other on some things, but it says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. He said, repent, turn from your idols and renounce all of your detestable practices. And we say, what were their detestable practices? They were offering their babies as sacrifices to these gods that didn't even exist. They would burn their babies on, on an altar thinking it would please this God. That was a detestable practice. But according to the book of Proverbs, so was a lying tongue. Yeah, but, but killing babies has got to be way, way, way worse. But I hate lying too. God's sin scale is a lot different than ours because every sin that's ever been committed is exactly why his son had to die. That's why he hates sin. Because it separated him from the creation he made And he gave those first people he created one rule. Man, we got a whole list of rules. Good grief. 
It's not even the Ten Commandments anymore. You read through Genesis, through Deuteronomy, there's like 600 and some rules for, for, the, for the nation of Israel. You say, is that, man, that's a lot. We got a lot of rules we need to do today. A lot of things we need to try to make right and do right and live our lives in a way that pleases the Lord. It's a big responsibility, right? God hates sin. What's the result of true repentance? This is the last thing. He says in Psalm 51, verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. And he promises not to do that in 1 John chapter five. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You have salvation. Some of us aren't living with the joy of salvation because we're living in areas where we shouldn't be living. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And what's the result of all that, right? We repent, we make it right. God gives us a clean heart and a fresh start. God cleanses us, takes away our sin. He restores the joy of our salvation. What's the result of that? Then, right? Then I will teach other people that mess up just like me your ways so that sinners can come back to you. The result is a clean heart. The result is restored joy. The result is we could teach other people, hey, I'm not perfect, but I know the perfect one who will forgive you and save you and never leave you or forsake you and have a relationship with you that'll last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And why is this so important? Because there's nothing that can hurt a church, a local church, more than sin. Satan wants to do everything he can to mess this church up. He does. He hates this church. He hates every church that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and talking about new lives and new start and repentance and truth and, and the word of God and the things that God loves and even the things that God hates. Satan hates that stuff. But the Bible tells us that even though Satan's walking around this earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, the Bible also teaches us that this is his church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. So what messes, what hurts a church? Is it outside influences? Well, according to 1 Corinthians, it's inside implosion. It's when things aren't right with me and Johnny. It's when things aren't right with me and Chris. And I don't go sit over near Chris. And you better, hey, listen, if you, if you see Chris after church, hey, go rub up on him. He was in Jerusalem this week. He's got some Jesus juice all over him, right? But if I'm mad at Chris and I walk into church and say, I don't like that punk. He's from Gilmer, Texas. So I'm going to sit over here because I don't want to get near that guy because I don't like that dude. I don't like that dude at all. So I'm sitting over here because I don't like him. You know what that is? That, that's what destroys the church. You know what destroys the church? When we point out other people's sins and don't look at our own mess ups. You know what hurts the church? When we compare ourselves. Man, I am so much better than, I'm so much better of a parent. I'm so much better of a grandparent. I'm so much better of a person. Or I'm so much more of a giver. Or I'm so much more of a server. Or I'm so much more of this than that other people. Jealousies. Insecurities. Judgmental statements. Satan doesn't have to come out and drop the atom bomb on our church, we do enough damage to it ourselves. But when we're submitted to God and we remember why we do what we do, it's because of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. But when we do this, as we remember him, we take some time and we say, hey God, I'm really, I wanna make sure before I take this remembrance of what you did on the cross, would you please reveal to me things in my life that I need to make right with you? And I don't, listen I, listen, I know I sin so much, and I'm gonna ask you to affirm one another and agree with me this morning in just a second. I sin so much, I don't remember every bad thing I've done wrong. Is anybody like that up in the room with me? Like, like, I'll pray, and I'll remember some specific things. Lord, can you forgive me for, man, something I said to my wife, or I was a little proud over here, or this over here, two hours later, this over here, right? And then I'll say, and Lord, I say this all the time when I'm praying, if there's anything in me, the Bible says, I think it's in, in, in the same chapter of Psalms, cleanse thou me from secret faults, like even the things I don't even remember. Because I want the whole thing cleaned up, right? I don't want to just clean part. We got a Roomba vacuum cleaner in our house, and my wife shuts the door, runs the Roomba, then she's got to go in with the vacuum cleaner, hit the areas that the Roomba doesn't get. Because we don't want the rug half clean, we want the whole thing clean. I don't want my heart half clean, I want the whole thing clean. 
And I asked the Lord, Lord, I know I did this. Please forgive me. I know I did this. Please forgive me. And Lord, if there's anything else in my heart, reveal it to me. And if I don't remember it, please forgive me. But just forgive me for the stuff that I'm forgetting that I did wrong because I've done so much wrong. Is anybody else like that? I've got enough in me, Lord. Whatever's there, get it all out. Get it all out, you know? A healthy body. Listen, when you're right with God and you're right with each other and you're right with the church, that's when God's power can be demonstrated through the warehouse church ministry. And anybody that's in the medical field know this is true. A healthy body functions properly. I want us to have a healthy body. So we're not gonna go through the motions and just slam a tiny cracker and drink some juice in a second. I'm gonna invite you to pray and ask God to forgive you of anything you need to be forgiven for. And listen, you don't need to tell me anything. I'll talk to you if you want to talk about it and help you if you need help. But whatever's in there right now that you're facing, that's between you and God. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess, he will forgive and cleanse. And it's hard to pray sometimes. It's hard to pray when you're ashamed. But man, when you experience that grace and that forgiveness, there's a thankfulness that can be inside of you this morning, not for anything that I said, but for what God did in your life today. So I'm gonna invite you, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes and just kind of have a prayerful spirit. And I'm gonna lead you into praying one of two different prayers this morning because I think there's two needs that all of us have this morning in in one way or another. The first thing I'm going to ask you is, is there anything in your life that you need to confess to God? Is there anything? Did God bring anything to your mind or to your heart that you wrestled with? When you got up getting ready for church today, did you wrestle with, with, a, with a behavior that's in your life, with a relationship that you need to make right, you know, with a, with a neighbor that you need to, hey, with your husband or wife that's sitting next to you? We know how to do it. Kim and I know how to get dressed in the morning. We have our, listen, when we drive, we usually don't drive the church together, but when we do drive the church together, we've argued on the way to church, left the argument in the car, put on the gospel glaze walking in because we want everybody to think everything's okay. But you know what? Not everything's okay all the time. We have to say sorry to each other sometimes. Me more than her, but we got to do that. And, and, and God leads me to do that. And sometimes I'm not obedient in that. And I got to, and I wrestle with the Lord. Lord, if she would only understand. Lord, just make it right. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to make something right with this room. Maybe they're in this room. And and part of that prayer of confession, uh, part of that prayer of confession is not just to the Lord, but you you might need to just lean over and say, hey, babe, hey, honey, I'm sorry. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe you need to text yourself a reminder after church today, call this person and just make it right. So if there's something in your life that you need to make right before the Lord, if you know Christ is your Savior, just take it to Him right now. Here, listen, He's not going to be surprised. He's not going to be mad at you. He's not mad at you at all. He's mad about you. And He wants you to be right with Him. So just pray, Lord. You know this is in my life and I'm struggling with this, but I'm sorry. Please, please, please forgive me cleanse me. I need you, Jesus. Christians, pray that prayer this morning and be specific. But if you don't know Christ as Savior, you're in this room this morning. We're so glad that you're here and you're among people that care about you. And we want you to know we don't stand in judgment. I'm not a better man than any man in this room or any woman in this room. But what I do know is this, that God loves you just the way that you are. There's no pre-qualifications to have a relationship with God. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to save you. He wants you to be part of his family. He wants you to spend eternity with him. All those, man, that's such a big, big. Oh, he wants to do all that for me? Yes, he does. But what he wants you to do is just believe in him. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. (coughs) So if you've never accepted Christ into your life, just right where you're sitting this morning, Pray this prayer with me, not to me, not to anybody else. You say this to God, and you ask him to save you today by doing this. Just pray this prayer right where you're sitting, nice and quietly. Just say, dear Jesus, 
I recognize this morning that I'm a sinner. Can't remember everything I've done wrong. But I know that I have bad stuff in my life. And God, would you please forgive me? Would you come into my life and save me? I believe that your son died so that I can be forgiven this morning. And I believe that he's alive. And now I'm going to live with you forever. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me today. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. Hey, if you prayed with me this morning, first of all, the first prayer, I have, I made a prayer of confession to the Lord this morning because I don't want to drink of the communion this morning with stuff in my life. And I prayed some prayers this morning and asked God to forgive me. And I just want to celebrate that with you this morning. Anybody like that? Christians all over the room. It's okay. My hand's up. I wonder how many would say, Pastor, and I prayed with you and I invited Jesus into my life to save me this morning. I prayed that second prayer with you. I invited Jesus into my life to save me. Uh, nobody else is looking around. If you did, just lift your hand up in here so that I can see it just real quick. God bless you, sweet lady, my dear friend, my sweet friend. God bless you, lady in the back. Anybody else on my left, your right? I didn't, if I didn't see your hand, just throw it up real quick. God bless you. Father, you know our hearts. And, and, and these, these kind of messages aren't made aren't meant to be shared so that people walk out of the room feeling guilty. It's so that we go out feeling forgiven, renewed, refreshed, redeemed, loved. Lord, you demonstrated your love for us. Even though we were sinners, even though we got all this junk in our life, we need to make right with you all the time. It's as Christ died for us. He died to pay for our sin. His Holy Spirit lives inside us to convict us of our sin so that we would continually, daily, sometimes hourly, make it right with you. Lord, strengthen us in those areas where we're weak, Help us to be strong. Take the yucky stuff in our life, Lord, and, and help us to clean that up so you can use it for your honor and your glory. If there's people in our lives that we've offended, give us the courage to have difficult conversations today. Lord, protect this church. Protect your, your, your body of believers from Warehouse Church uh, by protecting our testimonies and cleansing our hearts before you. We thank you for what you're doing in our life today. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pass out.